what a sweet, sweet old hymn. Uh, the old hymns that we still love and sing on occasion have great, made great theology, talking about uh, only our sin pardoned by God through Christ's work at Calvary. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. I'm so glad to be with you today on this, what I, I found out on the way to church this long weekend. I was sort of lost in the melee of work and, and the week and having grandchildren around the house that uh, I just found out today. We get a holiday tomorrow, don't we? How many are going to enjoy that? Woo-hoo, yes, yay, holiday. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you're going to enjoy it. And uh, I am positive you, you deserve it and you need it. Every once in a while, we need to take a break. And so may you have a blessed day tomorrow. I know for some of us, this week is a big week. Uh, our dear brother Isaac over this side of the room over there is getting married this coming weekend. Yeah. Shall we pray? <laughs> it's going to be an exciting uh, weekend, and Kathy and I are privilege to be a part of it, and so just remember Isaac and Sarah as uh, they uh, take these very important step, uh, this very important step in life, and uh, guess what? We, we get a blessing. Uh, when they're all married up, they're here with us together, and so we look forward to seeing Isaac and Sarah with us uh, all the time until the Lord chooses to either move them out of here or whatever. All right. We are in Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 20. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 20. And I hope you have your Bible with you. And uh, I'm a big fan of the analog version myself. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to hold God's Word uh, very clearly. This is the only thing in my hand right now is God's Word. We're going to read the first portion of this entire passage, which is actually... Uh, verse 14 to 29, but we'll read verse 14 to 20. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah, and others said, he is a prophet, like, the one, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. He was pretty confident there, it sounds like. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, Philip, brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and uh, wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he had heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Let me ask you this. What are some of the decisions that you've made in life that have been costly? And I'm not really talking about financially. I'm more speaking of important decisions in your life. Like we just mentioned, Isaac is going to get married. And Isaac feels right now the spotlight is shining on him. I know that. But that's a big day. Uh, and it's an important decision. Uh, maybe 
uh, you decided it, it's time as an adult to learn a, a new language. You've thought a lot about that, maybe a new language, or uh, maybe you're going to learn an instrument. You know, as we get older, these are good things to do for our minds. Also, the blessing of music. Um, maybe, maybe somebody here has decided that they're going to get a post-secondary degree. Maybe go get a you know, go to university and get a, a bachelor or something. Or maybe add on to their bachelor or master. Big decisions. And it's, it's costly. Financially and time-wise. And relationships because it takes you away from family. All those things add up. Of course, marriage and divorce. Those are costly decisions. And we want to make sure that we make the right decision when it comes to marriage. And we definitely want to make sure the right decision when we come to divorce. That God hates divorce. And we need to work out our challenges in our relationship of marriage with our spouse. I need to keep growing in my faith so I can be the man of God that she needs me to be and God wants me to be. What about your walk with Jesus? Do you walk with Jesus uh, in a focused commitment or a casual appreciation of him? Is it focused commitment? I am determined to follow Jesus in every aspect of my life. Or is it casual appreciation? I like Jesus. Uh, I, Jesus saved me. And uh, yeah, I just sort of do this thing as it comes along. Which is a lot of way, a lot of people do it that way. I love what uh, John White, Pastor John White, in his book, The Way of Commitment, wrote this. The way of the cross is a magnificent obsession with a heavenly pearl besides which everything else in life has no value do you like that caught my attention let me read it again the way of the cross is a magnificent obsession with a heavenly pearl uh, beside which everything else in life has no value i think he's got it down really well in a, in a nice nutshell we must never fool ourselves uh, into believing that following after Christ on the narrow way is cheap. It is not cheap. It is a costly walk. Now, uh, we know that it costs us nothing to come to Christ. He did everything. But once we've come to Christ, we start to learn that there is a cost to our being a dedicated, committed follower of Jesus. But the benefits and the rewards and joy that come out of our commitment to him are well worth the sacrifices that we must make to answer the call of Christ, to pick up our cross and follow him. So let's pray with that in mind. Father, we come to you now and we're contemplating some very helpful truths out of this passage. And one is the cost of commitment. Holy Spirit, this morning, will you help us to really clearly see the cost of walking on the narrow way with Jesus? Holy Spirit, will you help us to take up our cross? Holy Spirit, will you help us today, this week ahead, to follow Jesus and live a life worth living for your glory? And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We want to set the scene a little bit. We see uh, that um, Herod has been hearing about Jesus. He's made known. But 
we have to know something about the culture in which we're reading uh, this passage. It is a very violent, vicious, barbaric culture. Uh, the Roman Empire, Middle East, uh, over the centuries, um, was a very, very tough place to live. If you didn't do what was right, you could end up either being crucified, that, those were the, that was the punishment for non-Romans, or uh, you could be beheaded, and that was the punishment for Romans, citizens, who went out of step with the laws, and they thought beheading was much more humane, so that's why the Romans got that benefit, so-called benefit. But today, with that in mind, we look at the passage, and I want to remind you, maybe, let me ask you, how many people either had parents or maybe even you um, watched a few soap operas in your life? Anybody watch? You put your hand up like that. Oh, yeah, thank you. I see that hand. See that hand? Well, I'm putting my hand up. I watched some soap operas. There you go. Now, if I put my hand up, you're going to put your hand up. I watched soap operas when I was a kid. And the only reason I watched it, because my mom, I'd come home from school, and my mom, uh, you know, was a stay-at-home mom, and, and that was her thing. She enjoyed the soaps. And many, many people did. I don't know today. As a matter of fact, there was the soap opera called The Days of Our Lives. Remember that? Yeah, some of you are going, oh, yeah, I know that one. How about the one that my mom and I watched on occasion? On occasion, it was The Young and the Restless. Yeah, you know that one, don't you? Yeah. What was funny is, you know, as a teenager, you know, 13, 14, come home and here this is on. Somewhere in my late 20s, I was home during the day and I flipped the TV on. And guess what came on? The young and the restless. And know what's even funnier? All the characters were the same. Everything was, I watched it for about a half an hour and go, nothing has changed. And people are still watching this, being entertained. They were tacky shows to me in, in, in the greater scope of things. Tacky. Uh, they were filled with unique characters. Uh, the, the lust after wealth and, 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 and money uh, was just amazing. Insane jealousies in, in between the characters. Uh, you know, unfaithfulness all over the screen. You know? And, uh, of, of course... Uh, Crazy plot twists all the time. Things were happening that you go, how is that happening? You know, people coming back for the, from the dead. You know, all the, anyways, anyways. One of the things that happened in a lot of these soap operas, uh, and uh, maybe Dallas is one that you can remember too, flashbacks. Remember ever seeing a, a show, even not if it was a soap opera, but a show that has a flashback. And it helps you to get some perspective on what was happening in the present day. Now they have to go back and remind you or show you uh, what would happen, what has happened in the past. Today's passage is almost like a soap opera, except it is a real event. And, you know, the Bible gives us a lot of details about the people that uh, it writes about in, in the scriptures. But... Sometimes it's helpful to get outside information, and there is. There's a lot of extra-biblical, historical information that you can find that help us to understand some of the situations in the Bible. And here is one for sure, because we have some people that we just read about and we don't know a lot about. Herod, uh, Herodias, uh, Salome, 
we know a little bit more about John the Baptist than all of them, but there's a man named Josephus. Now, if you really want to get into some historical writings, not all biblical, but a lot of touching upon biblical stuff, is Josephus. You've probably heard the name Josephus. It's a book about that thick, and you've got to be committed. Now, we're talking about commitment. You've got to be committed to read all of Josephus. But Josephus, a Jewish historian, wrote much about the first century and his key figures, and he includes the key figures from the scriptures, many of them. Along with Josephus, there were early Christians like Jerome who wrote, and uh, Roman historians like Tactus, Tacitus and Cassius Dio. These people wrote and touched on the biblical characters uh, that we uh, know and understand. And so we get a lot of extra information. So with that, let's just look into our little play. Let's, let's look at this as uh, the, a time that we'll look at the players in this first century drama. That's what we're looking at here in Mark 6, 14. Herod. Herod is the guy whose name means heroic. And he is as far away from being a heroic guy that you can get. He's, he lacks that in that quality that would even get him close to that. His entire family were not heroic people. Herod is typically a, a title uh, that was used for a ruler. And uh, there was, as a matter of fact, there was eight people in scriptures and in, in this time that were referred to as Herod or had the name Herod. We know Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? We know here uh, Herod Antipas, that's the, the Herod in our story today, and we know Herod Agrippa that Paul had to deal with in the beginning of the church, period. But Herod the Great, we know him very well because remember when Jesus was born in that first two years, Herod the Great tried to kill all of um, the newborns up to age two because he was afraid of this one who was a king that had come would take his throne. As a matter of fact, Herod was absolutely um, fearful of losing his power. He was, no doubt, a great builder. This guy, Herod the Great, did a lot of wonderful and great building of things, but he was threatened. He was paranoid. He was jealous. He killed off many of his wives and his sons to keep his power really in grip. As a matter of fact, one of the historians said it would be better to be a pig than a son of Herod the Great. Kind of safer to be a pig than a, a, a son of Herod the Great. And he would have even killed the Herod of today's story, Herod Antipas, but he died before his plan could be put into place. Very, very bad man. And you know, as character, characteristics go, they get passed down from father to father. You know, even me as a, an adopted child, a lot of people said, oh, you're just like your father. And it was a compliment. My dad was a wonderful father and a wonderful man. So, yeah, characteristics got passed down. Herod the Great's characteristics, his evil characteristics, really got passed down to his son, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas ruled four small areas after his father died. And you'll see sometimes in the scripture to refer to as Herod the Tetrarch, those four small regions. Now, our, our character today really wanted to be a king. You know, he had, a, he had this deep desire to be a king. And that wasn't going to really happen. 
So what did he do to try to bolster that? He married an Arabian princess. Now, this is not a Disney movie, as you're probably thinking right now. He married an Arabian princess, the daughter of King Aretas IV. And I think what he was doing is saying, if I marry a princess, that would make me more like a king. He was trying to network himself into a greater position. Okay, so Herod Antipas, the first of our characters in our story this morning. Then we have Herodias. Herodias is a wicked, wicked woman. Do you remember in the Old Testament, uh, there was a woman named Jezebel. You remember that? You probably remember hearing about Jezebel. Jezebel was a very wicked woman. And in 1 Kings 18.19, you see her wickedness absolutely come to fruition. See, Jezebel uh, was a non-Jewish woman. Uh, King Ahab, one of the most wicked kings in Israel, married her. And what, what happened in that is she brought all her religious beliefs with her, which was to worship Baal and Ashtoreth, the female version of Baal. And he, King Ahab, the leader of Israel, God's people, started to worship her gods. And guess who comes along? Elijah, the preacher. And he looks at Ahab and he says, you wicked man, God is going to judge you. Now, Ahab didn't like that, and certainly Jezebel didn't. And so the short, the short, end, short end of that story is that Jezebel sought to kill um, uh, Elijah. Remember the big fight between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and God destroyed all those prophets? Wonderful. Look at 1 Kings 18 and 19 to catch up more of that story. Well... The Old Testament Jezebel is now the New Testament Herodias, the granddaughter, and you'll start to notice there's a lot of inbreeding going on in this situation, the granddaughter of Herod the Great. And uh, Herod decided uh, that, uh, or Herodias decided she would visit Rome, and in Rome she met her uncle, Philip, follow along with me, I should have made a chart here or something, you know met her uncle, Philip, and the scandal began. And she seduced her uncle, Philip, which is Herod Antipas, our guy today, brother, and she became his wife. She became Philip's wife. Philip wasn't a Herod. Philip was a, a businessman, a non-politician, and he did very well. But he was much older than Herodias. And, and then as Herod decides, Herod Antipas decides to go and visit Rome. Guess what? Herodias takes a shine to Herod Antipas. And all of a sudden, the scandal gets bigger, and he brings Herodias back into Israel with him. And on the way, guess what happens? His wife gets uh, wind of it, and before they even get back, she takes off back to dad in Arab. And Arabia. Whew, I'm glad I got all that together because you know what? It, it's, it's all over the place. Now we have Herod and Herodias coming together, married, and with Herodias, she brings Salome, her daughter from Philip. 
So now the three are a big, happy family in Israel. We don't even get the name of uh, Herodias' daughter until we read Josephus, as I said, great historian, and we find out that her name actually is Salome, and that she was a young teen, probably even uh, 12, 13. Remember when we were talking about or doing the study on Jairus' daughter? The same word for Jairus' daughter is used of Salome, and so Jairus' daughter was 12, so she, we know that she was a young teen, probably in that area where she would be eligible for marriage. And as she comes to live with her new husband, uh, Herodias, with her new husband, Herod, um, John the Baptist comes along the scene, the truly faithful prophet of God. Remember, Jesus is John's uh, cousin, about six months between them. Uh, John lived his life out under Nazarite vows, so he didn't cut his hair. He didn't drink any alcohol. Um, he lived on a simple diet of locusts, wild honey, and he lived in the desert pretty much. But he had one committed focus in life, and that was to preach about the coming Messiah. And as he was preaching about the coming Messiah, he is saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And he would, he would speak to a man like Herod, who was a Jewish man, and say, repent. And, Jew, and, and as a matter of fact, Herod was of the, the sect of the Sadducees. He knew his life was out of order. And he'd go to him and he said, repent. And as he said that, we know that uh, Herodias really got upset. John had a wonderful, wonderful perspective about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. He had a wonderful perspective about his commitment to honor God, to preach God's word. He publicly declared it was both illegal and immoral for Herod to be sleeping with his niece, Herodias, and actually his sister-in-law. Put all that together. I know later on you're going to go home and you're going to make a chart of this. Because it's, it's convoluted, but it's, it truly was sinful. Herod recognized John as a man of God, so he didn't want to kill him like his wife wanted him to kill him. So he put him in jail. Kind of a happy medium. John the baptizer ends up in Herod's dungeon. Partially to keep him safe and partially to put him in his place. Well, by the way, uh, I just want to reiterate, we call him John the baptizer or John the Baptist, but John was not the first Baptist. I just want to make sure you know that. A lot of people out there think he was the first Baptist. In other words, a denominational. He's just John the baptizer. All right. So we've taken a few minutes here to sort of get us in order about uh, the players in the scene. Now let's look at uh, setting the scene that we're actually in. There's actually two scenes. One is in the palace and one is in the dungeon. In the palace, it's a birthday party. How many here love the, to have a birthday party? I love birthday parties. You know what? Uh, I don't mind getting older, just one step closer to be with the Lord. But I love to come together and have a party. And so did, uh, the, did Herod. He, he, he had made one more trip around the sun, and, and we read the guest list. It's quite a guest list. Look, look at verse 21. 
But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of, of Galilee. Everybody who was anybody was at this party. And they were, the wine was flowing, the food was being cooked up. It would have been amazing. But in the midst of this party, Herodias, his wife, goes, Ah, here's my chance. I'm going to get that John the Baptizer today. And so when Herod was probably loose enough from the wine he'd been drinking and the, and the fun he'd been having, uh, he would have his young stepdaughter, Salome, come and dance for him. And probably at the inst, uh, insistence of his wife, Herodias. And when we think about him, uh, of Salome dancing for him, we know that it's not proper. We know that this dance was probably very um, seductive and just terrible. Look at verse 22 and 23. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. Well, we know what that pleasure was. And the king said to the girl, ask for me whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Now, if it had just been a simple dance, would he have ever just said, I'll give you half of everything? No, it was, it was a dance that caused his whole world to shake. And Ask me whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask, I will give, it, give you up to half my kingdom. How arrogant was this man, Herod, because he was not a kingdom holder. He was a kingdom supervisor, a Roman kingdom that he was supervising. He wasn't a king. He wanted to be a king. And yet he said, I'll give you half. He was bragging. He was bragging not only to her, but all to all his guests. Look at me. I'm someone special. And so Salome, not knowing what to do, goes back to her mother, who I am sure, if we extrapolate, has probably well prepared her to, for this moment. She comes back and says, Mom, he says, I can have half of everything he has. What should I ask for? And in verse 24, uh, she gets this answer. The head of John the Baptist. And so Salome, she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. You can imagine what the inebriated Herod was thinking at that very moment. What have I done? This party, this celebration has now changed from being a, a, a really a time of joy and being all about me to my wife getting what she wants. And he knew that he was put in a corner. Maybe I don't know, it doesn't say here, maybe negotiate it. I'll give you a pony. I'll give you anything else you want. What about that? Maybe he suggests it, but no, I want John's head on a platter. And he says in verse 26, look at verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. In essence, he decided it was better for John to lose his head than for him to lose face. Think of that. How arrogant is that? That he couldn't say, you know what? 
this is not going in a good direction. I have the right to change my mind. So now we move to the second scene. The second scene is in the dark and dreary dungeon, a place that no one wants to be. We wouldn't want to be there. John didn't really want to be there, but he was there because God allowed that to happen. And it says, verse 27, And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. So I was, I'm wondering what John must have felt like. Can you imagine? He hears a little troop of guards coming down to his jail cell. He's thinking, well, maybe I've done my time. Maybe everything's good on his birthday. I know it's Herod's birthday. Maybe he's going to set me free. But that, that excitement turned to sadness or uh, just he knew what was about to happen because when he saw the executioner by the way in the old times there were guards and yet there were executioners well trained in the art of execution he would know who that man was coming and with a swift quick stroke of his sword John's life and ministry on earth was complete and that head of his was brought back to uh, Herod on a platter, just like Herodias wanted. And so when the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Verse 29. The disciples were there, and they closed out John's life with burying him properly. Uh, Hero uh, the historic historian Jerome wrote, and this is one of those things, we don't know for sure, but Jerome was fairly accurate in all that he wrote. He said that Herodias's hatred toward John was so intense that she pulled John's, John's tongue out and pierced it through with a large sewing needle, like to say, now wag your tongue at us. But you know, God always has the last word. It's a principle, you know. Yeah, you, the world may do anything it thinks is right to us as believers, but God has the last word. And we're going to look at God's last word. Uh, so I struggled all week with this passage and saying, okay, it's, a, it's an amazing story. It's a historical story. But what does it mean for you and I today? How does this bear on our lives today? And so uh, I think we'll look at each person and see what, each person's life offers as a practical spiritual lesson for us today. First of all, Herod reminds us of the relentlessness and crushing weight of a guilty conscience. Do you believe that? God has given each and every one of us the thing called a conscience. It works within the fact that we have souls and we have memories and that those things working together produce a conscience. When we sin, that conscience, conscience kicks into action, and it is always there. Maybe it, sometimes it's a low-grade conscience. At other times, it's a heavy-duty conscience. So it was many months later, after this actually happened, that Herod had been hearing now we're back to the beginning. Herod had been hearing about Jesus and his disciples doing these great miracles and things were happening. And when everyone else particularly was saying Elijah was, had come back, he's going, no, no, no. This has got to be John the Baptist. Guess what? His conscience has kicked in. 
And it's burning within him. And he's probably going, oh, no. What's going on? So God has given each one of us a very powerful tool. It's called the conscience. And I believe, from personal experience, the conscience that he's given us is a very accurate tool to remind us to, to get back on the narrow way, to get back in a place that brings him honor and glory. And the great news, the extremely good news, is that we don't have to continue to live with and bear the guilt of our sins, a guilty conscience. Today, are you feeling your conscience at work in any way? And if you are, guess what? 1 John 1, 1.9, one of the most familiar and, and heartwarming verses, tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is nothing like a hot shower after you have worked hard and you're dirty and you just get in there and you clean your body. Just think about your soul, your conscience being cleaned by confession and God's forgiveness washing over you. And so I encourage you today. One of the lessons we can learn today is the conscience is real and it's weighty and it's crushing. I mean, Herod felt it deeply. The problem is Herod didn't go to God and ask for forgiveness and feel the cleansing power. As far as we know, he did not. A life free of guilt, free of the accountability for our sins is ours to be enjoyed when we heed the call of God to confess our sins and surrender our lives to God. It's ours to enjoy. You know, you look at Psalm 103. Just turn back there for a quick second. Psalm 103. This is an, such a wonderfully encouraging psalm. Psalm 103. And we'll just read a couple verses from Psalm 103. Verses 2 to 5. A few verses. Here we go. It says... <clears throat> oh, why don't, we, why don't we read from verse 1? Uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all, his, uh, all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you, with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your truth is renewed. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, when we are forgiven and we're cleansed, we're re-energized. The picture of being uh, energized like an eagle lifting up and flying, soaring in the air is a wonderful image. But it only comes... After we've surrendered, confessed, and been forgiven and cleansed. Even you look a little further down in verses 11 and 12. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. There's, there's the condition. There must be that relationship of just... Um, being in awe of who God is. 
And as far as the east is from the west, here it comes, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do you know if you confess to God that you are a sinner, that he forgives you, uh, that your sin, can, you can never find it again. It's as far as the east is from the west, totally cleansed because of what Jesus has done. Have you done that? Have you heard the call of God saying, come to me, and have you confessed your sin and put your faith and trust in the saving work of Jesus? I say to a lot of people, it's not rocket science. We don't have to figure out a lot here. Here's what it is. I'm a sinner. The Bible tells me that. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Two, confess your sin. You go to God and you say, I'm a sinner, Lord. And then you, you go to the cross, and you kneel at the cross, and you say to Jesus, Jesus, will you be my Savior? And guess what? Yes is the answer. Yes is always the answer when we come with a surrendered heart and confess sin, and we receive Christ. Will you do that today? Don't, don't put it off. I mean, you don't have to... This, you don't have to Come forward, you don't have to. You can, right where you are in your seat, pray that prayer, I'm a sinner, Lord. I believe Jesus is my Savior. Will you save me, Jesus? You can do that at home, right as you're watching this live stream. So, that's Herod. He reminds us of a relentless and crushing weight of a guilty conscience. We don't need to live that way. We can be free. Secondly, Herodias reminds us that resentment and hate will hurt you and those around you. Herodias has this inner boiling anger and hate toward John. And sin always, always affects our lives in a terribly negative way. Whether we think it's doing that or not, it will. Sin is like a cancer that left unchecked through personal confession and the gracious forgiveness of God. It will relentlessly spread through the rest of the body. Sin is like a cancer. It affects us. It's like, uh, you know, throwing a pebble in a pond and ripples out. That's what sin does in our lives. And Herodias's sin of desiring going after a man who should not have been her husband eventually caught up to her and her wicked husband. Uh, the pebble effect, you remember uh, Herodias's dad? Uh, Herodias's. Um, Her, pardon me, Herod's scorned wife, the Arabian princess, guess what? The pebble effect happened. The father, two years later, came back with an army and destroyed Herod. Herod's sin of uh, how he dealt with his first wife, this Arabian princess, came back to haunt him. And in shame, Herod and Herodias had to flee to Rome to save their lives. And in Rome, even in Rome, uh, we, we see that Herod's uh, half-brother, Agrippa, uh, didn't want Herod in Rome, so he did everything he could to cause Herod problem. Eventually, uh, he was sent off to Gaul to live out the rest of his life in, uh, in obscurity. In an unmarked grave, even, it says in the history books. You know, a guy who wanted to be king ends up in an unmarked grave. Be sure, be sure that we have to know the, the pebble effect 
is real. Our sin not only affects us, but mom, uh, fathers, uh, wives, husbands, uh, I mean, uh, uh, fathers, wives, husbands, all of our family relationships. When I sin, when you sin, it affects our family in some way or another, especially when you look at the number of broken families that are around us. It's because of sin. Okay, the last person, or second last person, Salome, reminds us of the old uh, saying. Do you remember this old saying? It's a biblical saying. Numbers 32, 23. Can you, can you uh, recite it off? No? I couldn't either. But when I got there, I, did, I knew what it was. Be sure your sins will find you out. Remember that one? Be sure your sins will find you out. My mother uh, used to say that to me. Son, be sure your sins will find you out. So you, you don't do the things that you shouldn't and confess them when you do. Historians were uh, are very fascinated with Herod's family. And uh, we discover uh, through some of the historians about Salome's tragic downfall. She, after this period, uh, had several marriages, failed marriages. And, uh, and then by historian Cassius Dio said that uh, on a trip... Uh, she was vacationing in the northern Alps. Even, even back then, the Alps were a place to go. She and her party were crossing a frozen river when the ice cracked. And in efforts to extract her uh, frozen body from the frozen water, uh, a sheer ice um, wedge fell down and decapitated her. Now, I can't tell you if that's verifiably true or not, but if it is, what a way to end her life after what she did to John the Baptist. Be sure your sins will find you out. Sin has a cost, and it's in a broken life. And I pray that we today are reminded by Salome that sin has to be dealt with. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. How true, isn't it? Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. All right. The last person in our story today, in our great drama that we've unfolded, is John. And he reminds us there are things worth dying for. Here's a big one, isn't it? There are things worth dying for. You know, for your family, that, yes, of course, we would die to save a family member from terrible, terrible situations. Uh, I, was think, I was reading some of the paper uh, about uh, Ukraine and all the Ukrainians dying for their country, you know, to, to release themselves from the grip of Russia. That's worth dying for. I understand that. But what's the most important thing worth dying for? I think it's far and above. Most important matter worth dying for is our faith. What do you believe do you believe it so much that you would die for it? If you were put up against the wall with a firing squad and they would say to you, do you, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is God who became man? Your answer, your life depends on the answer you give. If you say, yes, he is, we're going to shoot you and, and you're going to be dead. Would you say yes? Could you today go, I am so committed to my understanding and my faith in Christ I would take a bullet for Jesus, for his sake. That's commitment. He's worth dying for. 
John the Baptist knew this. He went about preaching knowing that his life would be in jeopardy for preaching the truth of the gospel. But I think there's a little something we should note here. In verse uh, John 1.29, it says, Behold, When he saw him, he proclaimed, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, at that moment, he knew exactly who Jesus was. He proclaimed it point blank. But in Luke 7, we understand that John sent word to Jesus where John sent word that said, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I wanted to mention this because I think Sometimes a little bit of doubt creeps in, and it's okay. You know what? We are human. Uh, doubt is only a time in our lives that causes us, should cause us, to reaffirm, to go back, to think through the proofs and the truths of God's Word and say, no, I'm sure. And so as his disciples came along, and uh, they, Jesus said to him, just go back to him. And, and remind them of all the miracles, of all the lives transformed, of the people that were raised from the dead. Remind them of that. And then he, Jesus, after that, spoke to the crowd around him, and he says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus could have chastised John for his little moment of doubt, but he said, no, no, he is one of the greatest, he is the greatest man in the kingdom. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I appreciate John just for this fact that he was making sure that he had done what God wanted to do to point to Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus is saying he's greater than Moses, Elijah, greater than Abraham. What John stood for was the truth of God's word. Will we stand for the truth of God's word. Today, it's being assailed on every front. God's word is being called hate literature now. Because we stand for truth. And we stand for God's truth. I can imagine when John entered heaven, what it must have been like. All those saints gathering around him, and he looked at Abraham, Isaac, jo Jacob, and all the saints that he knew and loved. And he looked at the, the Father, and he looked at Jesus, and says, sure, glad I got my confidence back. Why did I ever doubt? Okay, a couple questions to conclude. Would you die for your faith? I hope it's a rhetorical question for you? I hope the answer is simply yes. I believe in Christ. I believe in the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God so clearly that if it was called into question and I had to give up my life for my faith, hands down, not a problem. Here's maybe the harder question, more practical. Are you willing to live for your faith? Not a momentous here and now, i got to make a decision. But every single day, not just on Sundays, but Mondays through Sundays, I will live fully committed. We started with the whole thought of commitment is so critical. 
and we need to make commitments in our life, but this is the greatest commitment you will ever make, that I will live my life each and every day to bring glory and honor to God. Perfection isn't the question at hand. It is focus and commitment. And I really hope, I trust, I really believe, knowing many of you very well, that both answers are yes. The wonderful thing that we get uh, as the church family, as the body of Christ, is we can keep those two commitments together. We're not alone. We're walking this narrow path together. And the joy of being in Jesus is we have brothers and sisters in Christ who support us when we say yes to both of those questions. I trust today. That was this little unfolding of a, a very brief story. But you go, yeah, there's some deep principles in that story that at first didn't seem like it was very relevant to me. But actually it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Herod and his birthday party and uh, his guilty conscience, his his wife, Herodias, and stepdaughter, Salome, and John the Baptist. We thank you that each of these characters offer us some very practical insight into our walk, into our uh, being on the narrow path to bring you glory. And I pray today for each one of us, Lord, that we'll walk out of this place going, thank you, Lord, I needed that. I begin to say a, in, in, as the first one, thank you, Lord. This week, I needed that, and I appreciate your word even more. So I pray that as a church, we will be blessed with learning the principles that each one of these characters has taught us today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.